Welcome to the Learner.co Show, hosted by Kevin Horick and his fellow Learner co-founders. Listen in as groundbreaking leaders discuss what they've learned. Discover the books, podcasts, presentations, courses, research, articles, and lessons that shape their journey. To listen to past episodes and find links to all sources of learning mentioned, visit Learner.co. That's Learner with two L's, dot co. Welcome back to the Learner.co show. Today we have Sapreet Raju. She's the co-founder at OneRare. Sapreet, great to chat with you again. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I I really think what you guys are doing at OneRare is really, really innovative and cool and finally gives some really good context to blockchain and NFT. And, and I think could give our listeners some really good advice and thoughts around that. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Uh, I grew up in New Delhi, India. Uh, I did very my cool. schooling, my college there. I'm actually a design graduate, so very left field for this industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, spent I love that all my, <laughs> I think I think the industry needs that, to be honest. I think every industry needs a bit of everyone to come in. Totally. So yeah, I kind of come from a design background and uh, just been doing a lot in that all my life till I landed up in the blockchain industry. Okay, so... What made you passionate about design at an early age? Uh, I was actually uh, one of those kids who knew exactly what they wanted to do when she was six. Uh, And so I decided I wanted to be a fashion designer and that was it. And uh, (laughs) I kind of geared my entire school life to do that, you know, behind every notebook was a sketch and illustration i was so sure i gave only one entrance uh to the best fashion college there is in india i got into that and i thought i was set for life uh except that my first semester into that course i realized this is not what i want so yeah i was i was one of those kids who knew exactly what they wanted to do till they didn't know anything about it (laughs) so (laughs) i i was the one struggling much later in life i guess so what made you dislike doing it and being in school for it? Uh, I think I just read school and I realized that there are people more creative and more passionate about it than I am. And I'm a strong believer that if I uh, if I would not enjoy what I'm doing or if I feel I'm inadequate at it, it wouldn't be the best fit for me. I think we come... Uh, We are from a generation where the opportunities are immense. There is no clear structure anymore to education, to professions, to professional streams. Uh, And I just, I thankfully came from a backing where my parents understood that it's better for me to find my forte than to fit myself into one. Uh, And so, yeah, I think uh, just being in the fashion industry told me that I wouldn't be the best at it. And there would be somewhere else that my skill set would perform much better and I would enjoy that journey more. Interesting. Okay. So walk us through the rest of your university and then let's dive into your career and coming up with the idea for OneRare. Okay, perfect. So, yeah, so I mean, uh, I did not want to be a fashion designer, but uh, I'm... Uh, I was fairly confident I wanted to do well. So I'm actually a gold medalist from my college as well. Uh, But I ended up specializing in textile design. 
uh, and I then gradually got into something called exhibition design, which was to organize events and spaces for companies, uh, create a design experience which is based on visual interaction, and um, also be able to um, pass the message on, you know, what a company is trying to build to uh, help the commun uh, company communicate with the community, with an audience. So I was doing that for um, 10 years uh, up till COVID hit. And then everything we knew of our lives and our industry uh, shut down overnight, you know, being in the exhibition sector uh, meant that, you know, there were no more public interactions. There was nothing happening anymore. It was a standstill. Uh, and that's when I started thinking about the next step. Uh, for me, that was actually a much slower transition into blockchain. I actually built an edtech company first, which I ran for about a year. Uh, and around that time, NFTs started heating up as a word. So I had done a bit of blockchain consulting before. And when CryptoPunks came on the horizon towards January 2021, uh, it felt like something creative is finally coming to this industry. Uh, and that's kind of how we started even or at least that's how I started thinking about how I could be relevant to this industry. Very cool. So your co-founder, I think it is interesting who you chose. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that because I think <laughs> there's some pros and cons and I'm, I'm curious to know the pros and cons of working with your type of co-founder. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, 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 I don't know if I chose him as my co-founder first, but I definitely <laughs> chose him as my husband before that. Uh, and I think um, over the pandemic, it just became easier to actually be working with your own husband because you're in the same space. Uh, you don't have to go to work. Sure. Uh, and so it does have its own uh, positives. Uh, the, the main reason why we partnered up was actually because uh, we were consultants all our life for 10 years he was a consultant and so was i we could have we ran uh, different startups we could have partnered before but this was the first time when our skill sets fit in perfectly so i think uh, rather than choosing my husband what i actually chose for one rare is the best fit for me because i strongly believe that if you're trying to run a company uh, your co-founder should have a very varying skill set from what you have. Uh, and in our case, Gaurav is an engineer and he has an extensive background in marketing. And I come from a design industry and I've worked on experiences. So uh, when we fit together, it was a bit of a yin and yang that worked well for us. And I think um, any company, whether it's in Web2 or Web3, um, should really focus on getting founders that can bring different things to the table because otherwise you'll be very strong at one thing and the company will have a major problem in something you both are not good at. No, I, I think that's really good advice. So how did you come up with the idea for OneRare and what exactly is it? Okay, so with OneRare, like I said, we were looking up NFTs, you know, suddenly January 2021 was the era of crypto punks and a bit of buzz starting about, you know, how a 32 pixel piece of art can command a million now. Uh, and that was fascinating. And to me as a designer, it was even more fascinating because um, not that's not something people talk about, but uh, crypto punks are actually bitmap art, uh, they're pixel art, and it was completely... Um, you know, pushed out of uh, 
popular design history because we were moving towards digital art and it was changing at another level. And I think uh, CryptoPunks has, has actually had much more social impact than we realized because uh, the idea of pixelated art has now transcended into our regular fashion, clothing, accessories as well, which nobody talks about, but that's how huge the impact of CryptoPunk has been. Uh, and I found that very interesting when I saw it. So this was around Jan and we started thinking about how NFTs can be used to bring more people onto the blockchain. Uh, and then when we started talking about the industry, we realized that, you know, being such a technical industry doesn't really encourage a first time user, you know, as a woman, as a non-tech person, as a, a teenager who's interested, there isn't enough clear information for people to understand. There aren't enough projects building for the uh, new user. Everybody is building for the existing user. You know, if you go and try out a game today, uh, they auto expect you to know how to connect your wallet. They expect you to understand what staking means. They expect you to, uh, you know, know the whole risks and rewards of playing a Web3 game. Uh, and I thought that was a bit uh, too much because we're a very new industry at the moment. Uh, and so with OneRare, the idea was to bring in food uh, as a very simple verbal tool for communication. You know, with the, when we look at food, all of us have a favorite food. We have something that, you know, our moms made. We have a travel memory. Um, there's just something so special about food that helps people feel more comfortable. So we thought, okay, let's, we can do this. Let's bring out food NFTs, but instead of just putting out NFTs for the heck of it, um, let's do something a bit more. And so we came up with a very small game initially about how uh, we need to collect ingredient NFTs to actually make the dish NFT. So let's say you want to get the French fry NFT. Uh, you need to collect cooking oil, potato and salt, which is the exact same way we would do in our kitchen. And of course, in the pandemic, everyone was cooking. <laughs> so everybody was very well aware about what each thing needs. So that was kind of the start of one rare where we thought that here's food, people understand it. Um, let's do something fun around food that allows people to kind of just see the basics of blockchain. Okay, so maybe do you want to give us the difference between an NFT, how that ties to blockchain? And then I know you don't really do crypto, but do you want to talk about that quickly? Just how like the three parts of it, because I think some people understand it and some people don't understand it at all. And then some people understand bits and pieces of it. Absolutely. No worries at all. Uh, I was actually that person who would not understand any of it. And so now I started creating uh, simple life examples to kind of make things easier for people and for myself. Uh, so Perfect. in the most simple of terms, uh, blockchain essentially is a new technology uh, that allows you to actually document a lot more. It's type of a ledger, you know, let's say you have a diary at home where you've been noting down your groceries of every day, you've been noting down each thing that you do. Uh, it's simply a record. So with that record, we can now harness more technology because, you know, you don't have to go storing things. It auto stores them for you. Um, and so that is blockchain as a technology. When we talk about blockchains today, we hear the word Solana, Polygon, uh, BSC, you know, so these are all chains. Uh, and so what happens is that let's look at blockchain as a world, you know, a virtual globe, if I will. Uh, and then there are different countries, you know, so there's the Polygon country, there's the Solana country. And so you can choose which city you want to go build your house on. 
you know, so you can build it on Polygon or Solana, whichever you like. And as any city in the world as where we are, uh, we then become inhabitants of that city where we follow their rules, we uh, pay taxes, which we also call gas fees in our world as that. Uh, we basically um, do our transactions in their particular currency, which is the crypto that we have. And tomorrow, as we go along, let's say we are trading with each other or we want to exchange any assets, uh, those will become NFTs. So uh, with regards to the world, that's how they connect at a very, very simple level. An NFT can is anything digital that can be recorded on your phone. It could be a photo, it could be a land deed, um, it could be a piece of music, anything that we have in our phone, a contact card as simple as that. If you simply go punch it into the blockchain, you know, if you go and note it into that diary that I mentioned, it becomes an NFT. So the key here is that every time you're going and punching it into the blockchain, you actually get a token ID. So there's a unique ID. Uh, which means that tomorrow in the world, wherever it may go, it will continue to hold that identification number, which allows us to always spot it. So when we talk about crypto, let's say uh, you and I, Kevin, we put uh, one Bitcoin each into a wallet. Now, when we okay. want to take it out, um, you know, we don't know whose Bitcoin was what when we withdraw one each from the same wallet. So that becomes fungible because we don't really know who put in which part of it, right? It's kind of gone mixed up. So those are fungible tokens. NFTs or non-fungible tokens are the exact opposite, wherein if you and I put in the same, uh, let's say the same um, crypto punk, of course, they're not the same. So I'm looking for a better example. Let's say we put in two one rare French fries into the wallet. Uh, okay. Even when we take them out, their token ID would hold. So I would still know whether I have picked out the French fry you put in or the one that I put in. So right. you're giving each particular piece of specific identity, which makes them an NFT. Got it. No, very cool. Okay. So how has one rare evolved over the last year to launching to what it is today? So actually, it's been a very, very interesting journey because uh, now I can safely say that we have ridden the bull and we are now learning to ride the bear. Uh, and awesome. across these one and a half years, uh, OneRare has evolved a lot as a product. So uh, like I said, we started as a very small NFT game idea. Uh, the core focus then became to develop an MVP because uh, this industry is a lot more about words and a lot less about deliverables. Uh, and so we wanted to go to the market with something we actually have, you know, not just a white paper that says that we will build this in 2040. Uh, we wanted to make something now. Uh, and so we built an MVP out by July and we took it to investors. We started showing it around to get feedback. Uh, and then that's how OneRare, you know, brick by brick started building and expanding as we got more angels and investors. We realized that, uh, you know, firstly, the NFTs that we are creating, the French fries or uh, the pasta, we need a use case for them. They need to be useful to people. Somebody needs to know why they're going to make this particular dish. And so we came up with the idea of our playground where you could go play more games or access membership clubs using those NFTs, uh, get the user more benefits essentially. 
uh, as we went along, you know, because of our angels and some people around us knowing other chefs and restaurants, uh, we started getting pinged by the food industry about how they could come into this. And so we started building a program where let's say instead of French fries, they could be McDonald's French fries, you know, incorporating brands and bringing the signature dishes as well. Uh, so that's how we started collaborating with chefs and restaurants. And then as we kept building it more and more, we realized the, um, the immense opportunity of bringing a traditional industry to something as radical as blockchain. Uh, and so after all the iterations and all the confusion I have just created for you, uh, I can just reword one rare as the world's first food wars. Uh, which basically allows people to come into different zones and interact with the food industry. So we have our gaming zone, which is the first zone, which is currently already live, uh, wherein you can come, you can collect NFTs, you can play different kinds of games and interact with other people. Uh, following that, our other zones would include a celebrity chef zone, where you can basically be part of a uh, of a chef's private club. Uh, you can attend their virtual cooking classes, hold their NFT releases. Uh, thirdly would be the virtual restaurant zone where you can come in and uh, experience restaurants, place online orders, check out their new menus, and which is essentially great for home delivery kitchens and cloud kitchens and you know people who want to uh, showcase their brand ethos without being restricted by a physical space. Uh, and then, of course, we would have an event zone, which is for our competitions and special events that are time based, uh, as well as having a community area where the community can come in, they can build their own food experiences, they can uh, contribute recipes and be a part of one rare as a whole. So what we're building is essentially all things food and the blockchain on our planet Foodverse. Very cool. So can you give us some examples of some of the games on the platform today? Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually already live uh, right now. We have, we are completely audited. Uh, if, uh, I mean, for your audience, just in case audit is a third party uh, certification that you get that you basically cannot be hacked or, you know, you, you worked hard to keep the security of your platform intact. So we've already gone through that process. We are audited by Certic, which is one of the best nice. in our field. And uh, so we're actually ready to go to mainnet and uh, depending on, you know, market conditions and depending on uh, how we can structure it, we'd like to, you know, have a nice little launch into our mainnet. Uh, so what you can go and explore right now are four different areas on our platform, oneware.io. You can check out the farm where you can stake your tokens. So we have six pools uh, based on different themes, you know, the same way we shop uh, or, you know, the way we get ingredients. So we have farm fresh, which is fruits and vegetables. Uh, we have sunshine dairy, which is dairy based products and so on. We have six pools. You can go and stake the order token in any of these. Uh, and as your reward, you actually get ingredient NFTs. So we've actually created the world's first NFT staking contract, wherein basically you can stake the token and instead of a token reward, uh, you know, just getting more and more tokens, you actually get ingredient NFTs. So you can use those and harvest those in our farm. And after that, you have two options. You can head to the farmer's market, sell them to other builders, to other shoppers there, bid the price you want to, you know, earn your money and maybe go back to the farm to stake more. Or you can go to the uh, the kitchen where you can check out all our recipes, decide what dish you want to build uh, and build that out. So once you have your dish, you can head to the playground. 
Uh, we're actually just about to go live with our testnet for the food truck war game as well, which is our first game in the playground. So what you need, what um, need for that is a dish and it's like a three player game where you need to earn the most for your food truck. So as we go along, we will just keep adding more layers and more dimensions to this game as well with booster cards, with more days and more options. Uh, but the idea right now is to kind of show people an MVP there as well. Very cool. Can you quickly explain what staking is just for people that don't know what that means? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my bad. I'm really sorry for No, no, uh, no, no, it's, it's good. It's good. <laughs> but uh, staking in the simplest of terms, if you know anybody who's not been a part of blockchain, I can say is the same as getting a fixed deposit at a bank. You know, uh, uh, we have all these offers and all these schemes that happen at banks wherein, you know, if you come and lock in an X amount of money, uh, that is good for the bank that is good for the economy and they reward you for that so in the same way in our world of web3 if you're staking a token that means you're locking it away uh, it does not decrease it does not increase on its own but there is a reward program for it so traditionally what we've seen for all these past years is that when you stake a token uh, the same as the bank you just get more of the same currency uh, what we have changed is that instead of, you know, getting more tokens, you'll actually get NFTs now. Got it. Okay. So how long does that staking process take in one rare? So the staking is actually very dynamic and it will completely depend on how many other people are staked in the pool, what their stake proportion is like versus yours. Uh, so there would be a time calculator that will tell you as to the speed at which your crop is being harvested. So you can basically harvest one ingredient at a time. So there would be a chart that would tell you uh, whether you're at 40% or 70% or you're done uh, and keep transferring that to your claim section. So uh, it could be as fast as 10 minutes. It could be as slow as a day. Um, that will completely depend on who else is in the pool with you. Okay, so it's basically similar to, you're trying to, it sounds like you're trying to recreate kind of things that happen in the real world, but just basically all digitally in the food space. Is that a fair comparison? comparison? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that the biggest lesson or the biggest um, sort of outcome of, you know, whatever is happening in the market right now and what we do know of the blockchain industry is that we need to stop using uh, heavy handed words. We need to stop using, you know, uh, dowsing it with heavy tech words and making our projects unappealing. You know, at the end of the day, what we are is a food game. What we are trying to build is a good experience for people. Yes, it's built on blockchain technology, but Every game, every software, every website that we access is built on certain technology. We don't go into the back end of those. You know, we don't go around asking if PUBG or Call of Duty was built on Unity or Unreal. So I think uh, the biggest outcome or learning for me, even from the recent conferences I've been to, is to actually focus more on the consumer enjoying the experience rather than, you know, trying to force blockchain tech heavily onto them. So. I think with us, the idea is to tell people about this fun food game that has come, uh, tell them things that they can relate to rather than daunting with them with the task that, oh, you know, here's your class eight exam paper, go and study it and otherwise you fail. No, I, I actually think that's really good advice because, and for the crypto one that I always use is, well, it's like, have do you have a Starbucks card and have you used it in another country than it was purchased? Like. That's been basically a cryptocurrency 
for years. I know we don't call it that, but it's like yep. I've used my Starbucks card in, you know, Canada, America. I, I've used it in Europe. Like it's wow. the same, right? It, yep, absolutely. It does, and it, absolutely. Right? And yeah, so when and, you and use me... things like, oh, go ahead, sorry. No, so I'm, I'm sorry. Please, please go on. No, 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 go. I was just saying that it, that is the whole point right now. You know, if you look at, let's say, a first person shooter game, you know, like, let's say we have Call of Duty and players yeah. are going and they're building their skins there, they're buying guns or, you know, whatever are the assets in that game. Uh, all we need to do is we need to give them an option that you can get this asset out of the game. Uh, it becomes an NFT, but that detail is right. not important. What is important is that you can get this gun out of the game and sell it and actually earn a profit on that or, you know, earn some money from that on the side. It shouldn't take away from the game experience of the player's ability to enjoy the game. You know, um, this discussion of late around even play to earn um, has kind of now fired back, especially with the downfall of Axie into, uh, you know, if they're earning, are they really playing? You know, maybe they're just doing this. Maybe the game is horrible. They're not even enjoying it. But it's when you're saying something is to earn, that means they are looking at the monetary motive more than the actual enjoyment of the game. So it is still work to earn because they're putting in those hours even if they don't like the game. No, I 100% agree with you. And it, it, well, but you're also coming at it from kind of like a designer user experience type mindset right where i think yeah. like a lot of people in the blockchain crypto space nft space just don't think like that is that fair to say or is that your kind of experience so far yeah i think uh, the industry is so new to be honest that everybody right. including us we everybody is trying what they think can work and uh, you know, what they foresee to the best of their abilities. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, I always laugh when I go to these conferences and somebody shakes my hand and says, we've been around for 10 years. And I'm like, that is not possible because we've <laughs> been around for 10 years. So where were you? So yeah, it's so new. All of us are beginners, to be honest, at best. I mean, uh, anybody who thinks they know it all, I would love to meet them after Luna. But uh, yeah, it's it's such a new industry. We think uh, we are doing a good job at what we are trying to build and the messaging we have. Some people have different opinions on you know the approach they're taking for theirs. Uh, I think it, it will take some time, but the focus or the prime motive everybody has right now is adoption from the real world. You know, like for example, if I focus on just the gaming aspect, the the gaming industry is a billion trillion dollar industry at large, and that i mean not even one percent of that is the total uh crypto industry you know the total blockchain industry so uh we're so small in comparison that even if we encourage one percent more uh regular gamers to try a blockchain game you basically disrupted the whole market yeah interesting no that's that's a really good way to put it so I, i'm curious to get your thoughts on obviously blockchain and cryptocurrency and everything is kind of getting a bad rap in, in the news <laughs> right now. Like, what is your honest thoughts as somebody in it and building something in the space? So I think uh, a lot of words are used interchangeably uh, in news and in general media. Uh, and that does cause a problem sometimes, you know, uh, inherently blockchain is a technology. It's not going up, it's not going down. It's just a right. particular technology to build on. 
uh, people understood the word crypto the fastest out of the blocks, you know, because they could associate the crypto with quick gains, which made it sound a bit like the stock market. Uh, and so right. then people took to that really fast because they're like, oh, so today I put $20 and it became 40 tomorrow. So that means it works like a stock and an advanced stock at that. So I think people understood that the fastest and uh, that's kind of the reason why crypto did well and has been doing well for the last four years as a as an asset or a I don't know. I hope it's an asset, but uh, sure. the second thing people understood fast was NFTs because again, so simple, a digital piece of art. And so they understood the word NFT first. So I think people uh, in the general audience pick and choose whatever is understandable to them. Obviously, nobody likes to lose money. And uh, there are a lot of people who, you know, will not put money today when it's at its lowest, but would you know, when the industry is thriving, would really believe in it, they would invest a bit more than they should have maybe. Uh, and that of course leaves a sad experience for anyone. Uh, in terms of crypto or speculation, I, I can't really go deep into someone's personal reasons of investing, but blockchain as a technology is here to stay. You know, whatever we are accessing today in our lives, something as simple as medical records or our, like I said, our real estate agreements or uh, you know, just the virtual uh, social media, you know, like the metaverse is essentially nothing more than 3D social media for the next couple of years. So the technology is definitely going to be all around us, whether the market is up or down, uh, the technology is not escaping us. And in terms of the bad rep, I think it comes from two things. Like I said, the first is the unwillingness or, um, you know, the closed club that we have created within the industry, wherein, you know, if we would people here enjoy making somebody else feel like they don't get it versus helping them get it. Uh, and that does cause a problem, you know, when the market goes down. Uh, and the second, of course, is people not really reading the right materials or understanding the base, the, you know, taking the gravitas from it, you know, uh, they, they would read in a random article that, you know, flashed on their sponsored feed that Dogecoin is doing well and they would run after that without really reading about why Dogecoin exists. Uh, is there a use case? Is there a purpose? Uh, you know, and for some people, the money they invest in crypto is money they can spare. It doesn't matter to them, uh, but it would pinch someone where the money does matter to them and they were just looking, um, you know, it's like going to a casino in a way and right, yeah. dead sure that you're going to enter with $500 and walk out with $1,000. You don't do that. You know, it's an investment tool. You study your risks. And of course, <laughs> it's bad on my part to compare it to a casino. But what I mean is that, you know, if you're not really studying up an industry, don't expect what whatever media says or what your friend told you to always be correct. No, that's fair. You're right, though. I think everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people went into crypto thinking they'll put in $20 and come up with 40 and take that 40 yeah. and make it 80 and so yeah. on and so on. And it's like, well, sure, that can happen, but you can also go to zero too, yeah. just like you can at the casino, right? Exactly, so, exactly. Because no. nobody is studying the tech part of it. You know, the people who yeah. are building have way more faith at the use cases that are coming out. At this point yeah. in time, there is actually so much blockchain technology being developed by governments all across the world you know uh, by b2b systems all across the world so the technology actually is getting a bad rep for no reason at all no that's fair so i'm curious you're obviously you move around the world um 
quite a bit. You're in Austin now. I think when we last spoke, you were in Dubai. And I, I'm curious, through your travels and just interacting with people in, in the space, do you see different perspectives on NFTs, maybe based on location or culture or or any of that kind of stuff? Or, or what are your thoughts around that? So I think right now the blockchain industry is definitely a little segmented. Uh, okay. I think the more collector interest comes in from Europe and North America, wherein there is a, a bit more collector mentality as to, okay, this asset will do well for me tomorrow. Uh, and right. towards the towards Asia and towards Africa, we see a lot more interest in the games. So they are generally more interested in the game NFTs because they believe games would hold more value. And of course, the play to earn wow. angle that was created by everyone. So uh, I think there is a bit of difference, of course, due to economic reasons as well. You know, right now where CryptoPunk is at, uh, it's not something all of us can afford. You know, uh, when we look at a board a yacht club, there are a whole set of NFTs which are like really, really high in value at the moment. So I think uh, finances do matter. But in general, we we see the Asian and African communities have a lot more time. Uh, and so they are more active, I would say, within the communities, within interacting in the gameplay uh, and, you know, AMAs and things. Whereas with towards the West, we see the mentality of long-term investments more. Fascinating. Okay. No, that, that's interesting. So you mentioned earlier in the show that you obviously didn't understand this stuff and you come at it from kind of a design background and your husband was an engineer, obviously technical background. Is there any advice or learning resources that you could recommend to somebody that's maybe a bit more technical or somebody that came at it less technical like yourself to help them understand and learn more about the space and maybe they could start building something you know, in the NFT blockchain space. So, I mean, the, the most controversial thing I can say here is to never buy a hard copy book on the industry. Uh, not because the book is not good, but most likely the book has become irrelevant by the time it's published and received by you. So I think the Smart. industry moves fairly fast. Uh, and yep. so in this case, newsletters, um, you know, following people online, there's an excellent newsletter called Bankless, which I highly, highly recommend. It's a very good DAO as well. Uh, we, we, I was using that extensively before we built OneRare, and there's generally very good information there. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, essentially uh, looking at people and, uh, you know, seeing what they're reading, there is, there's a lot that happens even within Medium now, a lot more crypto influencers are there. Uh, but in general, look at various kind of DAOs. Don't believe anyone blindly. Don't um, follow one person's advice. I would suggest to study the market uh, at a more broader level. Take your own understanding from it. Uh, and yeah, again, a lot of, if you're in the tech field and looking to get inside this, a lot of self tutorials and a lot of self learning as well, because it, like I said, it's so new, you're unlikely to find a four year undergrad course on this that would have, um, uh, you know, technical expertise in terms of the faculty there or something. There are a lot more people building courses and structured ways to study and get inside this field. Uh, but that would likely happen in another two years or so. So at the moment, I would just say to stay as aware as possible. Um, if you feel like attending conferences online, go for that. Otherwise, follow thought leaders, you know, people who are leading exchanges, people who are leading 
uh, you know, uh, venture capital funds or creating some kind of grant programs, uh, their thoughts and what they talk about will be more time relevant than a hard copy book that was published last year. No, I think that's really good advice. So I kind of want to circle back to one rare and can you give us some examples of how maybe some chefs and brands and maybe like restaurants and stuff are actually going to leverage the platform because you quickly touched on it but i think it i'm i'm really fascinated to get your thoughts and maybe generate some listener interest around things that are possible on one rare and kind of in the space absolutely i i, I wish i could show you but i will i'll try to be as yes it's hard um, with audio <laughs> <laughs> so I, so essentially, when we look at any chef or restaurant, uh, we are looking at creating four types of experiences. Uh, I'll split them up into the four. The first is the connect experience. So in connect, we basically look at, like I said, the food wars or the better wars being a kind of a 3D social media. You know, right now with any particular brand, you're interacting with them in different forms and formats across 2D apps. Uh, and what we can do is we can leverage those, bring those in so you can come in and you can check out their social media feeds on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can check out their YouTube videos. You can catch their live streams and, uh, you know, maybe uh, a special kitchen video that they want to do. Uh, and also come in and buy their existing cookbooks, their recipe books, uh, you know, have their cookbooks as NFTs, for example, uh, and sort of create that connect with the brand. Uh, the second type is the restaurant experience. So like I said, you know, we want to be working with cloud kitchens, virtual restaurants and existing restaurants as well to help them create an experience in the metaverse that truly um, represents their brand. You know, right now a restaurant, let's say in New York City, has to be like five feet by seven feet because of restrictions of space and where they're placed. Uh, we want to completely disrupt that by letting people create what they want. Uh, wherein a user can come in, they can order online, they can check out the new launches, new menus, uh, check out all the food in 3D, know what their order is going to carry out for them uh, in a very simplified manner and sort of have a better experience, maybe book a meal for someone else as well, look up table reservations and so on. Uh, the third section that we have would be the game section, because right now, of course, gaming and interaction is a large part of any metaverse. So brands and chefs can come in and create a unique gaming experience based on their brand. So for example, we have been working with a UK-based chain called A Rule of Tone, wherein we are creating a burger war for them, wherein two players can come in and work on creating the most number of burgers an hour. Uh, and then another thing we're doing with them is where players can come in and suggest recipes. And every month, one recipe would be selected and incorporated into the menu. Uh, and the winning player can get a portion of the pro, uh, of the number of burgers sold. So bringing the community into the kitchens, into the gaming experiences. Uh, and lastly, of course, as I said, the membership club program. So with chefs and restaurants right now, they're only able to monetize at a very local level and we're changing that to more of a global level. So creating membership programs for larger chains or brands within themselves or helping bespoke restaurants and chefs connect worldwide. So let's say our burger shop, you know, it's, it's a small burger shop in the UK, but they can connect with other um, 
chains, not other chains, but other burger shops from all across the world that have the same ethos and come together to create a membership club program, wherein if you're eating at any one of their member pro, uh, locations, you would get a 10% off on your burger, for example. So with membership clubs, what we're trying to encourage is more patrons, more, um, you know, uh, event-based uh, interactions with chefs or restaurants being able to attend their virtual events uh, and just having a more sense of belonging in the space, I guess. No, very cool. The other thing too that I think would be really useful is if I'm planning a trip to the UK or New York or something, and I and when you're looking at restaurants you want to go to or try, um, being able to see kind of some of that stuff and be almost a part of the restaurant before you even physically visit there, yes. I, I think is actually absolutely. really cool too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think the food industry is, of course, uh, they're not the fastest to take to tech, but I think this right. time uh, the tech will really, really drive their business forward. And so it's an excellent opportunity for them to realize uh, the virtual potential of uh, not replacing the real experience, but enhancing the real experience. You know, if I come in, let's say for a simple table reservation and I want to, like you said, right, you want to go to New York and you want to sit on a table that is facing Central Park because that's the experience you want. Uh, a virtual restaurant can actually help you make that table reservation booking because you know where you want to sit. Totally. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. And then, well, the other thing, too, is I know so many people have those like beer apps that they track all the different beers they've ever tried. Right. And you yeah. could do that at a restaurant level or or whatever, right? Like you're trying to try every burger in New York City or whatever, I don't yep. know. It'd be cool, yep, it's absolutely. just cool that you're tying the digital world back into the physical world, kind of back into the digital world. Like they almost like pass back and forth, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Like it's, it's something as simple as you know how um, all of us have that one friend who has been wanting to open a food truck since they were 18, you know, and all of <laughs> us have, friends and family who wanted to own a restaurant, but it's hard, right. right? So with NFT, you can have a community owned restaurant or a food truck wherein you, you know, you pitch in a bit of an investment and you own a portion of the food truck that gives you certain benefits as a member and gets, gets you a part of the profits as well. So something so simple can actually help a restaurant owner or a food truck owner raise funds within one or two days versus going through a year long process. No, that that's that's very cool. And yeah, I, I think it's just that excitement and getting people in more involved is is what I really love about what you guys are building with OneRare. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about OneRare and any other links you want to mention? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So we are live on www.onerare.io. That's our website. And we're actually very active across our socials as well. So you can find us on Twitter as OneRare uh, or catch up with our Telegram or Discord communities. And if if I may share the links with you, Kevin, sure. maybe you can put them at the bottom of the podcast info, uh, which sure. can help direct some people more easily. But yeah, we're pretty much active across our website and socials. So pop in to say hi. If you don't get it at all, pop into our Telegram community and we will definitely try our best to explain all this to you as well. Very cool. Well, Saprit, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It's always super fun talking to you. Thank you. You as well. Okay. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the learner.co show. If you're looking to be a guest, try out our app or want to get in touch, please visit learner with two L's at www.lleaner.co. The music for the show is by Electric Mantra. Thanks for listening and keep on learning.